Well, it is good to be back. It's been a few weeks between schedule and surgery since I've gotten to preach at Connection. I slipped in, preached one sermon, mailed, did that, and then like I was gone again. It's just been, been quite the challenge. And I got to speak to the high school youth before I came up here about speaking gifts. And I was like, this is, yeah, it reminded me why I love preaching. I was sitting there going, okay, I hadn't gotten to do this really with all the complications. But we're going to have fun today. We're starting a brand new series called Invited, and it's about being a hospitable disciple. So we're going to do a whole three weeks or so about hospitality as a spiritual discipline, hospitality as a thing that shapes us for who we are. And we're going to talk about that. So I have a question for you to consider. I know what connection we answer them out sometimes, but you can, you can answer this one in your head. Who do you come to church for? Who do you come to church for? I know our default switch, if we're really honest, we tend to think for ourselves. I want to hear a good sermon. I want to learn about Jesus. I want to hear an awesome praise team, do some music. Like, I need to be at church. I hear people say that all the time, I haven't been in church in a while. I need to be there. But who do you come to church for? We certainly select our church for ourselves. Hey, I'm going to go to this church for this reason. You know, the pastor's pretty funny and keeps me engaged. The music's good. They've got great parking. Okay, maybe not here. But we, we, we certainly select our church for ourselves. And there's no, there's no, there's no, uh, I want to say the word shame. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, our culture has conditioned us to look for a church based on what we get out of it. Our culture teaches us to consume. I know we've talked about this at Connection before because it's like you've got all of your TV on demand. I have conversations with Matthew. In the old days, yes, Matthew, in the old days, there was no remote control. Yes, there were three channels, and I was my dad's remote control. Like, you know, that blows his mind when he can just go, why don't I have Netflix? You know, there it is. He's even, he knows how to voice command, so he can like get any show he wants just by saying, hey, Google. You know what I mean? Like, we live in an on-demand, consume-the-way-you're-wired culture. Um, I've made this joke before. I, I, I got to give credit to it. Brian Regan talks about if you, that uh, Pop-Tarts have microwave instructions. Toaster's too slow for you. You got to microwave your Pop-Tart. We live in an on-demand culture. By the way, if you need to, this is what he says. If you need to microwave your Pop-Tart, you might need to loosen your schedule a little bit. You know? But we live in this culture. We want it now. We want it here. We want it instantaneously. On demand. Everything is on demand. Everything is live plus, on demand, download straight to your phone wherever you are. Right? Why wouldn't we be surprised that our selection of church, our participation in church, isn't wired the same way? Are the seats comfortable? Are the snacks good? Is the coffee hot? Is the worship awesome? Is the speaker engaging? That's the church for me. And to a degree, you should at least choose it. I mean, don't be miserable in church. That would be terrible. Well, the preacher's boring and I can't get anything out of it. I'm never going back. Like, don't torture yourself. But the question becomes, who do we come to church for? And that's that, that order of me, <laughs> what I want and what I can get out of it, I've seen, I've seen a picture floating around Facebook for a couple weeks now that basically says McDonald's can get your order wrong 101 times, you'll still go back. But if the church blows one thing, you're done with them. You seen that? If not, it kind of drives home my point too, right? 
It's like, well, I don't know. I'm not going to go back to that church. They didn't say hi to me or something. You know, like, but McDonald's is like, gives you the wrong thing five times. You're still like, got to have some McDonald's. The culture has shaped us that way. What about the decision to come on a particular Sunday? Maybe you found your church home. But how many times have you said, well, no, it's 105 outside. I think I'm going to stay in the AC. Especially if they stream it, right? <laughs> like, why do you come on a particular Sunday or not on a particular Sunday? Like anything else, we choose because we do what we want. We do what we want. And we choose to do things around church because of what we want. Well, with this whole idea of invited and this idea of hospitality and what Scripture has to say for us this morning, I'm going to reshape the order of that priority a little bit. Because while it's good to find a church where you feel comfortable and it's good to find a church where you feel like you're being equipped and engaged in all those good things, and that is part of it, I, don't, I would say when I ask that question, who do you come to church for? The answer is not what you think. It's just not. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. This is the experiment when the guy who's had three, two eye surgeries in three weeks can read the scripture or not. We're going to find out. So bear with me. Chapter, chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift you have received. Whoever speaks must do it as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do with the strength that God supplies. So that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I like... If you haven't noticed, last week I preached on 1 Peter up the hill, too. I'm in a 1 Peter kick because Peter has a lot to say. You know, Peter is Peter. He's the first one to say something, but he has a lot to say. And he's following Jesus around. Jesus asks a question. Peter's like, I know the answer. And Jesus is like, here we go. <laughs> but he has a lot to say. And here he's, kind of, he's talking to a church. He's talking to churches when he says this. When he says, be loving toward each other. When he says... Be hospitable, hospitable toward one another. He's talking to church. Mostly churches in Asia Minor, which is like Turkey these days. But the verse 8 says, maintain constant love for one another. Another way you could say it is, be, be earnest in your love for one another. He says, notice he said, it comes up several times in the passage. He uses the phrase, one another. So he's talking to a church about how to relate to each other in the church. In this passage, he says, maintain constant love for one another. Be earnest in your love for one another. Christian, other Christians in the same spiritual community. Then the second half of that verse, it says, for love covers a multitude of sins. Now, if you've read that verse before, and for the longest time I read this verse this way, that if I'm loving to somebody else, God will forgive me for my stuff. That's kind of what that sounds like, right? Be loving, because if you're loving, then God will be gracious and patient with you. Your love for somebody else will cover a multitude of sins. That's kind of what it sounds like he's saying. I don't think that's what that means. I mean, maybe on one level or one interpretation, it could mean that. 
If you're loving towards somebody else and you're patient and you're gracious to somebody else, then of course God is going to be patient to you because we have scriptures that say God forgives you to the degree that you forgive others. So there's some truth to that, that if you're loving, it'll cover a multitude of your sins. <laughs> but I think the context is more about when you're loving towards someone else, that love overcomes the dissension and the differences and the difficulty you have with one another. If, I am, if, if love is the basis of our friendship, if love is the basis of our marriage, let's put this in a marriage context for a second, right? You love your spouse, you may just not like them very much right now. Right? Your love commitment at the foundation of that relationship allows you to put up with the stuff. It persists. It continues. That's why he says maintain constant love. Continue to love them even when they tick you off. <laughs> That's more the context of what he's saying. He's talking to a church. Because everybody in church always gets along. <laughs> There's never any disagreements or politics in church, right? There's never any division in church. That's tough in a United Methodist context to say, right? He says, maintain love to them, even when you disagree, even when they tick you off, even when they frustrate you, maintain constant love. Be earnest in your love toward them because it covers up, covers over a multitude of things. Now, there's a couple, a couple of things that that means. It doesn't just mean ignore what they do is wrong and don't worry about it. That's not what that means. You don't ignore your spouse being wrong about something. If you're a guy, maybe you do. No, I'm just kidding. You don't ignore that stuff. It's there. It has to be addressed. It has to be worked through. But it's worked through on the basis of love and on the commitment in the marriage relationship. And when you're in a church, and maybe you don't get along, maybe you disagree theologically, maybe you just annoy each other. <laughs> I don't know. They said something in the Sunday school that offended you. I have no idea. But if you love them, you don't ignore it. You work through it. If they've harmed you, if they've wronged you, if they've said something offensive to you, to you, and attacked you, you don't, Paul, Peter's saying, don't stop loving them. Figure out how to love them. Because that covers up that disagreement, covers over it. In fact, Peter may be quoting Proverbs 10.12. Proverbs 10.12 says that hatred stirs up dissension and quarrel, but love covers wrongs. There's your context. That hatred for one another stirs up division. Love covers up wronging one another. So when Peter's talking about being hospitable to one another, which is in the next verse we're getting to, he's talking about remembering that our relationships are based in love for they cover a multitude of sins. It'll, it'll, it'll endure for each other despite how we may hurt one another. I think it's another way that Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when he says, you know, that's the love chapter, by the way. The love chapter says, love endures all things. That's what Peter is talking about. doesn't mean you give it a pass. doesn't mean you ignore it. It doesn't mean you don't try to fix it. It just means you persist and you endure in that relationship because of your love for one another. It endures all things. But that is what overcomes the wrongs. It's not discounting them. Interesting thing about maintaining love for one another when we talk about hospitality and, I, and the question that I posed to you about why do you come to church or who do you come to church for? He says, maintain constant love. 
Question, how do you maintain constant love for one another in your church if you aren't at church? Have you thought about that? The Sunday when you're tired, the Sunday when it's cold, the Sunday when it's 105, you're like, yeah, I'm going to. And here's where during COVID, we lost this, right? We're streaming it instead of coming to church. And some of us got really comfortable with that. It's like, yeah, PJ's coffee and click church. <laughs> Dude, that, let's, I'm not going to lie. Some coffee on the couch, big screen church. Cool, right? I mean, yeah. But what's it missing? How do I maintain love for my fellow Christian if I haven't seen them? How can I persevere in love toward them if I'm not there? Or if they're not here? Are you there enough to know they're not there? When you're with them, do you make enough connection to know how they need to be loved and cared for? You see what I'm saying? He says maintain love. Be persistent in your love. And how can you do that if you become relationally disconnected? If we don't have a connected relationship, I use connection puns all the time. You're at connection and I'm talking about connected relationships. <laughs> but how can we maintain the connection <clears throat> if we don't come to connection or church, wherever you go to church, whenever you go to church, at any point in your life? I can tell you this, I grew up in church and I was always like, when's this going to be over? <laughs> Until I got into like grad school and into my first ministry call and I got involved in a church that had small groups and I got into a small group. At 20 something, that was the first time I really felt connected to a church. Why? Because I had an actual relationship with people in my small group. And when I showed up at church on Sunday morning, introvert over here had somebody to go talk to. I know them. I know what's going on in their world. I don't have to stand there and go, what do I, who do I go talk to? What do I say? <laughs> Which is an introverted nightmare. Okay? Like, I don't know who to talk to. Nobody knows me. Nobody's talking. That's awful. That's terrible. Right? But if i got a small group that I'm connected to, if i got a Sunday school class I'm connected to, how's it going? You know how many people have asked me how my eye's doing in the last two weeks? You know how many times I've had to tell the story about the detached retina in my eye? <laughs> right? So like, they know that's what's going on with me, and they ask, and they care about me. And how does that feel when that happens? It's amazing. Because you have this connection with another Christian, another believer. Somebody misses you. Somebody knows when you're hurting. Somebody knows what's going on with you. So part of what Peter is saying, maintain consistent love with one another, means you've got to be in connection with one another somehow. I've heard it said this way, too. It, you know, if you talk about the fact that Christians are God's ambassadors, God's representatives, God's God speaks through us in conversation, in the way we serve one another, the way we love one another. If God's speaking through us and using us in relationship, then when you don't persist in being part of your faith group, you're withholding something God may have to say from the crowd. Better yet, you're missing out on what you might hear. That if we're in relationship and God speaks through those relationships, and I'm not there to be in relationship, I'm missing part of what God has to say to me. 
I might be missing. And I might get something from a sermon online. I might get something the next week. I might get something the week after that. But there may have been something God had for me in a conversation with somebody over coffee that I missed on because I was like, couch, click. Not only am I depriving what I have to offer, I'm being deprived of what God has to offer me through somebody else. You're missed when you're not here. Now, that's not a guilt trip. Charlie said, I got to come to church every Sunday. That's not what the, you're missing the point, okay? That's not what I'm saying. You don't got to do anything. That's not the point. That's not a guilt statement. It's because you have something to offer this body of believers, and I firmly believe that. I want you to be the best follower of Jesus you can possibly be. And that means you need to know what God's got to say, whether it's sermon or conversation or somewhere else or a scripture you read or whatever. You've got that to give and you've got that to receive. That's not a guilt statement. It's like, why, are you, why would you want to miss out on what God has to say to you? Are you kidding? You have no idea what conversation is going to change one little idea in your head that transforms your life. My youth pastor, by the way, this quote must be 35 some odd years old because my youth pastor said it to me. Probably older than that, I just don't want to admit it. God is not interested in your perfection, only your direction. Now, I don't know where he got it from. And I've said it on a couple of Sundays in here before. I remember it from 1986. Oops, I just dated it. Okay? But it's still right here for me to quote to you now. He said that in one conversation in a hotel in Gatlinburg in 1986, and I'm using it in multiple sermons as an illustration and as a spiritual truth. God knows you're not going to be perfect. He wants you to be moving more and become more and more like Him. He's interested. Are you becoming more and more like Christ? Are you removing sin from your life? Are you striving to worship God with your whole life? Are you becoming more who God wants you to be? You're still going to screw that up. He knows you're not going to be perfect, but are you moving in the right direction? One sentence, one conversation in 1986, do the math. And it still shapes the way I think about my spiritual walk now. What if I hadn't gone on the trip? Do you see my point? It's not a guilt relationship. It is you want to be connected to the body of Christ for that reason. It's how you can love and how you can be loved. Verse 9, he says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. <laughs> be hospitable to one another. Be gracious to one another. Be loving to one another. It's a way of orienting our life. We're doing three weeks on hospitality. This week is about you and how you are hospitable in your orientation towards each other. Right? We'll do community next week and in practice the week after that. But for right now, God is interested in you being hospitable. You being generous and gracious and loving towards we're not even talking about the community of Starkville towards one another. How can I be loving to people I worship with on Sunday? How can I be hospitable to somebody when they come to church? How can I help them feel at ease when they walk into connection? How can I make sure they get the best donuts off the counter? <laughs> be hospitable. Oh, and by the way, without complaining is the way he says it. You know? It's like, Okay, I'm going to do this for them, but <laughs> Peter's calling that out. People come to church, and they sit in church, 
And the baby in the back of the room cries and they can't hear the sermon and they go, oh, what they take them out of here? May that attitude never be expressed here. If Matthew was dancing on stage with me, I'd still figure out how to preach. All right? It might become the sermon illustration, but I would figure it out. I don't care if your kids are doing cartwheels in the back. I'm not going to complain because we're going to be hospitable. That is going to be in the DNA of what we call connection. I am more interested in your direction of your spiritual walk. I am more interested in you being connected to Christ and connected to one another, to use Peter's words, than I am whether I'm distracted when I preach. By the way, for a long time, I taught middle, 500 middle schoolers the Bible in one time in a gymnasium. You can't distract me. Imagine doing a Bible talk to 500 middle schoolers at Ocean Springs Middle School Gym. Okay? That is controlled chaos. They're doing what they're doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. You ain't going to mess me up. It's all good. All right? Connection is a place where you can be yourself. That's why we dress the way that we do. <laughs> you can come real casual. You can get your coffee. You can go back for coffee and miss part of my sermon and miss what God said for you. I don't care. No. But you can go back and get some coffee and come back so you can focus on the last half of my sermon. Because I'm more interested... And you loving God and demonstrating that love toward, the people, toward one another than whether you were perfectly quiet or paid attention or stayed awake in my sermons. <laughs> I want what Peter is saying for you. This is a place where you can just be with Jesus. That's the goal. But Peter is saying that's not necessarily the right order about why you come to church. Because he's telling the church to be hospitable. That each other is one of the priorities about why we come to church. Not only so we can learn from them, but so that we can serve them. So that we can be gracious and loving to them. Hey, did you know there's coffee? Hey, did you know there's donuts? Hey, did you know there's bananas? That way you won't be wondering where you're going to lunch by the time Charlie shuts up. You know, like there's food out there. Hey, did you fill out a connection card? We want to know who you are so we can walk with you on your spiritual journey. Not spam you to death. <laughs> right? There's a place for prayer requests on there. Cool. You could fill that spot anything you want. Charlie, that sermon was terrible. Don't ever use that one again. I don't care. I welcome the feedback. Got questions? Got topics? Prayer requests? You use that blank to your spiritual enrichment. All right? So-and-so was distracting me and I'm complaining. No, don't do that because that's not what this says to do. <laughs> right? Be hospitable without complaining. You see, lots of churches want to grow. Would I love it if every single seat right here was full? Of course, I'm human, right? Would you love it if this was full? Sure, we say that. Lots of churches say they want to grow. And then it starts growing, and it's not what they're used to. What do they do? They complain. Man, this used to be a cool church when I was here, but now it's just the weirdos here now. They start complaining. Wait, wait, wait. People are coming to church. More people are coming to church. People are saying yes to Jesus, but because they distracted you during your favorite worship song, you're going to complain. It's just not the same church anymore. Lots of churches do that. I'm not saying that's happening here, but that's what happens. Lots of people were like, I want my church to grow. And then when it grows, they fuss about the growth. Well, there's not any good parking now because there's so many people coming, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. But where are they focused if that's what's going on in their head? We joke up the street about people having their pew. If Sally didn't sit right there, I would know something's wrong. Sorry, I'm calling you out. 
People have their pew. Don't sit in their pew. You'll mess things up, right? Like they, and if all of a sudden new people come and somebody sits in Sally's row, what is Sally going to do? Move. I hope not. <laughs> right? Because more people are coming. You might not get to sit where you've always sat. Oh, well. Be hospitable. Take them to your spot. Sit here. It's the best place to hear Charlie. I don't know. Be hospitable without complaining. The implied message, when they do this, by the way, the implied message is come to my church, but don't come to my church. <laughs> right? Come to my church, but don't change it. Come to my church, but don't mess up what I like, what I like, and where my priorities are, and what I'm there to consume. Don't mess that up. When what we should be saying is, how do we fill every seat in here and pull all those out too? Because if you, find, if you enjoy connection, if you enjoy the coffee, if you enjoy Will and the band, if you enjoy the comfy seats, if you can tolerate my sermons, <laughs> then you ought to be telling everybody you know about how cool it is to be here. But i got a little secret for you. If you were doing what, first Peter, what Peter is telling us to do in First Peter, that if we were persistent in love and hospitable without complaining, people would naturally find this place. That if we're so living in the love of God and being so hospitable and so gracious and so inviting and, so, and what we enjoy here and the connection we have with each other we enjoy here was so contagious, you'd be able to see it on our face. You wouldn't be able to help but go to, the, like, in the grocery store. You've got to go to this church. Let me tell you about it. Coworkers, you don't have a church anywhere? You've got to come to Connection. The coffee's good. Charlie's all right. You know, but you, whatever it is you love about Connection, you're here every Sunday. If you're here every Sunday, what do you love about it? You've got 10,000 options in this consumer society. You can watch church in Atlanta if you want to. You don't have to come down here. Why do you come? That was the initial question. Why do you come to church? Who do you come to church for? You got 10,000 options. At First Methodist, you got three. You can do two services up there or one service down here. You got options. You can go all three if you want. Figure that one out. You just rotate. I don't know. So you must be here for a reason. Is that reason something you want to share with somebody else? And be hospitable to see the church grow. Why? Not because, oh, Charlie's guilting us into inviting people. No, but because I've discovered something here that has changed who I am, and I can't help but share that with anybody else. We get intimidated about sharing the gospel and about sharing church and share, talking about Jesus. We get intimidated because we might say the wrong thing, we might embarrass ourselves, we might offend somebody. But if you get a brand new car handed to you tomorrow, what are you going to tell the next person about? <laughs> right? How was your day? I was all right. Somebody gave me a car, <laughs> and it's got this, and it's got this, and it's got this, and that's a car. I found life in Christ, and now I'm in a church that's hospitable and loving and comfortable and wants me to grow spiritually and wants to challenge me. You should come check it out. It's far more meaningful than a new car. It's contagious, not because of me, not because of you, but because of what God is doing amongst us. I'm not the world's best preacher ever. I'm not. I know, I know. No, I'm not. <laughs> All right? Sometimes I talk too long. Like maybe I'm doing this morning. I don't know. I don't care. 
I got something I want to say for several weeks, for a while, for a career. <laughs> can't help but preach. But part of the reason I can't help but preach is because I feel like God's given me something to say. It's usually what he has to say, not what I have to say. But he's given me something to say in a certain way. But if you come to church for what you get from it, of course you're going to complain. But a disciple oriented on what God wants and loving others would delight in new people coming every single Sunday. A disciple who's hospitable puts the needs and the convenience of others first. Maybe even to the degree of sacrifice. Look at the last part of that passage that we were reading today. This is verse 10 and 11. As soon as I can find it with one eye. Nope, that's Ephesians. That's not going to help yet. <laughs> See? <laughs> Sorry. I wonder I couldn't find 10, 11. Okay. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift you have received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking in the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so in the, with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belongs all glory, honor, and power. Amen. He says, serve one another. Be stewards of the grace that God has given you. Use the gifts that God has given you. So he says, be hospitable. By using your gifts to serve one another. He's not even talking about the community when it says this. He says to serve, once again, he says, one another. If you've got musical gifts, Will and the band need you. Serve one another. If you've got artistic gifts, this altar table needs you. Serve one another. If you've got speaking gifts, let's talk. Use your gifts to glorify God. Not because, ooh, look how awesome the band is, but so we say, ooh, all honor and glory belongs to God forever and ever. Amen. So you could argue, I ask you the question, who do you come to church for? I think the priority list sounds like this. God, verse 11, to whom God is the glory forever and ever and ever. You come to worship God. You come to serve God with the gifts he's given you to serve one another. Number two, one another. Being hospitable, persisting in love, maintaining relationship, staying in connection, helping when we can help, supporting one another when we need support, being patient when they're half blind, like whatever it is, serve one another. Oh, and then, by the way, if the coffee's good and the music's good, that's just be your church. In other words, you come third. <laughs> is, by the way, that is the reverse order that our community and our culture would teach you to order things. I propose that the order sounds like this. God, one another, then you. So that, and here's the other part of this. Why you anyway then? If God's getting glorified and I'm not there, cool. Somebody else will serve, cool. Then I don't have to be there because it's not my priority, cool. But here's the thing. How are you going to love God and how are you going to love others unless you're equipped by coming to church? It's not what you get out of it that's the priority. It is the way that Scripture and our relationship with one another and the presence of God in your life 
shapes you and equips you to do the other, to serve the other two, to glorify God and to serve one another, to be hospitable. If you're an introvert and you want to be a greeter, cool, that'd be fun. That would be a life-risking experience. Any introverts want to greet every Sunday? Hi, I want to meet everybody, even though I'm introverted. By the way, that would be a good thing, because that's what we call counterformation. All right? You know about being spiritually formed? Do, the, do what you're weakest at as a spiritual practice. Introverts love their Bible, their coffee, their commentary, and quiet and peace, and quiet time. I can speak to that. It's one of the reasons I like to preach, because I get to spend lots of quiet time doing that. Right? Go greet everybody. What? <laughs> right? It's the opposite of what an, an, an introvert would want to do for Jesus. Good, because what Peter also said in here, in case you missed it, when you speak, speak as if God's speaking for you. And when you serve, serve by the power God has given you. If you're an introvert doing greeting, you're not doing it on your own ability. You're supposed to do it with the power that God's given you to greet others and to be hospitable without complaining. God doesn't just go, go, have fun storming the castle. He empowers you to do what he's called you to do. He gives you the words to say. He gives you the energy and the strength to exercise your gifts. Not so we'll all pat you on the back, but so that, other, so that you will maintain love for one another and so that above all, God will be glorified. An introvert might be a terrible greeter. But God can use those conversations as much as anything else. Because you're not doing it under your own temperament and you're under your own power and under your own grace and gifts with words. You're doing it because God's called you to do it. I told the high school students this morning, in high school I had stage fright. I got a C in speech in college. And part of the reason I got a C in speech in college is I could not get clear points in five minutes. The idea of speaking for five minutes terrified me. I'm so sorry I fixed all that. The idea of giving a five-minute speech terrified me, and I did a terrible job of it, and I failed one of the speeches. I got a C in speech in college. And when that class was over, whew, you know how many seniors at college save speech for the last semester of their last year so they can avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, until they have to take it to graduate? Because <laughs> they fear public speaking? Me too. I hated it. Something changed. Because now if you let me, I'd talk through lunch. Something changed. Who I was talking about. Who I was giving glory to. What my passions were. And what the gifts God gave me to do got discovered. That's what changed. Not because I'm the best preacher ever. But God wired me a certain way to do this. And I had to figure that out. And I had to get over the stage fright. And I have to speak the way, as if God's the one giving me the words. And I have to trust his power to deliver the message, not mine. So that God may be glorified forever. Let's pray. We lift you up and we praise you. We give you all honor and glory forever and ever. Shape us. Transform us. Be with us. In Christ's name, amen.